My leadership style is all about like inclusive and participatory leadership. So you need to give direction to people, but you need to give the floor to them. You need to trust them before they trust you in advance. So that's the only way I think. And I'm glad to say that, I mean, in the last like 12, 13 years, I've managed or led several teams, but this is the first time I'm managing an international and intercultural team. And I could see that still, uh, the same uh, rules apply and it works well. My name is Gökşen Çalışkan. I'm a media and communications professional working in Brussels. Welcome to a new episode of the Better Teams podcast. Vincent here and I will be your host today. This podcast is about building better teams because that's what my co-host Max and I love doing and we have the strong belief that with great sustainable team dynamics you can achieve anything. This podcast is your space to grow in terms of management and leadership and to meet people with real-life experience in developing individuals into high-performing teams. Thank you for listening. Hello, Gokshan. Hello, Vincent. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm really happy to talk to you and to have you in the podcast. You have a double experience in the media industry and in business development. And I found it interesting. I really wanted to dig into your perspective through these two dimensions of your work and life to dig into leadership and team development with you. But first, just to be sure that our listeners get a good understanding of what you're busy with and what you do, nowadays you're EU Advocacy Director and you're also Head of New Business. Can you walk us through your main missions and responsibilities? Absolutely. I am the EU Advocacy Director and Head of New Business at Euractiv. We're an independent online media network specialized in EU policies. It's a very niche area, I must say. But what does that mean? You know, each independent media company is also a business, as you can imagine. So I work on the business side of the operations. My main mission is to lead the team that handles our company's new business operations to achieve our budgetary goals. But when I look at my daily tasks, I can say that they fall into three different categories. The first thing is, of course, team management, like leading, training, motivating, challenging the team that is in charge of our partnerships. The second thing is representing our team at uh, upper management level. The second pillar is external relations related to business development and advocacy communication, like developing and maintaining businesses with various stakeholders in the EU affairs market. And the last thing is the internal uh, communication, which is overseeing the implementation of projects, our projects in coordination and cooperation with different departments of our company, be it editorial teams and multimedia teams, event teams, etc. Before we talk about leadership and before we go further into team development and all the different aspects that you just mentioned, first I want to talk about uh, crisis and personal development because it played a big part in your professional and personal life. When we first talked before this interview, you told me that you feel or you realized afterwards that you had built your career over a few moments of crisis when you felt that you had to shift, you had to pivot, you had to adapt. So can you develop your relationship to personal development throughout your own journey? I realized that 
my character actually is not really suited to working in a hierarchical strict structure as we would have in public institutions, right? I really wanted my voice uh, to be heard, my ideas to be taken into consideration at an early age. I really didn't want to wait years to become a manager, leader, or I don't know, you name it. So I said, okay, I need to change my direction. So I started looking for different options. And in the end, I wanted to go towards private sector and mainly communications. And I did my master's uh, thanks to a scholarship by the European Commission and Turkish state. Uh, I did it in London on communication policies. And I found myself in the universe of communications, let's say. I started as a journalist in the beginning. I worked for Euractiv's Istanbul office years ago. And then again, I realized I like more being in business negotiations, being in the consultancy side of the things. So I switched from editorial part to the business side. Until 2015, I worked for internationally uh, funded or nationally funded projects. Uh, I worked with private sector companies. I consulted different projects. And in 2015, I realized I want a bit more flexibility. Arrived a moment where nothing was fulfilling anymore. So I needed a bit of like freedom, a bit of flexibility. And I uh, quit my full-time job. And I wanted to try new things. I didn't know what exactly. But in that moment, I started receiving calls from my previous clients. And one of them was so generous and nice to set up an independent business for me so that I could work with them afterwards again. And it was like for more or less two years experience of uh, independent consultancy to mainly EU funded projects again, but also some private uh, clients too. And my third turning point was in 2017, when I started to see that the projects that I was working on, which mainly funded were funded by the EU, they were being cancelled one after another. So in a way, I felt like, okay, I invested a lot in this area. I believe in the cause of like Turkey's EU bid and everything, but all the investment that I made is kind of taken away from my hands, right? And at that moment, I was feeling super depressed and everything. And I remember this so vividly. I took a trip to Napoli and then I was walking in the street and there was this EU flag waving heavily in front of me. And I started crying. And like five or 10 minutes after that moment, I received a message from a colleague here in Brussels and asking me to join the team at Euractive. And that was one of the most magical moments in my life. Of course, it was not magical. It was due to several things. Of course, the hard work you put, uh, the communication that you had with your uh, colleagues everywhere uh, around the world and everything. But that moment was like, oh my God, that's the way to go. You know, I need to make this change. And I just completely changed my life uh, in one day, let's say, like that. So it is a combination of different things, I mean, which brought me here, here to Brussels. But how did you feel at that time, the, the second time, the third time, when every, everything seemed to, f to fall apart? I think I, I learned a couple of lessons throughout all these, uh, you know, uh, experiences. One of them is, I think we need to accept the fact that life is unpredictable. It is full of crises, and so we need to find ways to build resilience in the end. So what I realized that resilience, you cannot build it by feeling good all the time. So you need to make peace with these unpleasant feelings and everything. So you, invest, you need to invest in your knowledge, 
but also you need to invest in your management of your emotions, you know, uh, how to be productive, how to be kinder to people when you are dying inside. So investing in your relations, especially during peaceful times, is the first lesson actually I learned throughout this process. The second thing is working hard, of course, it's inevitable. And especially I see these days, I must say this definitely, with the younger generation, I see that they are super impatient. And whenever they see something unpleasant happening, they tend to give up. I think the important thing is keep working, working hard so that you can really understand whether you get something from this experience or not. So we need to be patient. We need to work hard. That's the second thing. The third thing uh, about mainly like what I've seen so far we should not miss out on opportunities and we should not be scared of taking risks because every time crisis comes with an opportunity. So it is us who would decide to take it or not. And every time you take it, believe me, there is something good coming up next for you. And the other thing is, I think I was so bad at it asking for help from people. As I told you, I'm an introvert, so it is really harder for me to uh, engage with people constantly be in crowds, etc. So whenever I had some issues, the problems that I needed to tackle with, I tended to do everything, manage everything by myself, but that's not the way. So we need to ask help from people. We need to know when and from whom to ask. That's the other lesson that I learned. And lastly, sky is the limit. I should put it like that, because we tend to think that we have some limitations. We have our borders in terms of what we can achieve in life. That's that's not true. You can always stretch your limitations. Every time you face a challenge, you might be so miserable, you might so you might be so stressed out, but believe me, there is always to go further. And so we're we're I think capable of we're more resilient than we think we are. Uh, that's the last lesson I think for for me based on my experiences. And by the way, when you were in, in Turkey, you were also collecting uh, people's feedback, people's stories and experiences in the podcast, the Project Both 30. And I think that was particularly interesting because it was born out of the fact that you felt that people were getting to work too early in their lives without getting any experience and self-knowledge, which eventually led to crisis, not the 40 years old crisis, but the 30 years old crisis. Where is the project now? Do you want to... It was in Turkish, unfortunately, so I couldn't listen to any uh, previous episode. But uh, yeah, do you have plans for the podcast? Yes, indeed. It was such an exciting project because, I mean, first of all, it's a podcast and a blog based on interviews with people who change their careers from one field to another. And as you rightly uh, explained, the idea was the fact that we dive into professional life most of the time at such an early age in at least in our country, it is the case. You know, when we finish university, we need to just uh, start working immediately. So without really knowing exactly or understanding what we want from life, what our character is suitable to do, you know, these things we don't question that much and years pass. And at the age of 30, 40, you, you never know exactly. Something is triggered in your life at certain point and you realize that you haven't done much to fulfill yourself. So that was the moment that I really want to identify stories of people who realized that moment has arrived 
who wanted to change their life, their career in this case, and find ways to make things work. I was not particularly interested in success stories, to be honest. I was more interested in the process, how they managed, how they identified the need, what was missing in their life, how they find the next mission, how they identified that, what were the challenges that they were facing. So this was more interesting for me. And for the moment, yes, as you said, everything is in Uh, Turkish, unfortunately, but I'm planning to launch the English version soon. So I am open to any stories from anyone who had this experience of changing careers from one field to another. Nice. Well, if some of our listeners are interested and have stories to share, just uh, get in touch. Absolutely. You said that you didn't want a hierarchy or you didn't want to wait before you can be, be heard and have some impact. There is another word or concept that you don't like. You told me that uh, last time we talked, it's leadership. Uh, you're not a huge fan of that. And I wondered, what do you feel closer to? What would be better, a better word, a better notion for you? Well, to be honest, I don't have any issues with the word leadership. What I don't like is this old-fashioned connotation that comes to one's mind when we talk about leadership. I mean, this strict, uh, authoritative top-down, hierarchical approach to leadership that I don't like. For me, it is the easy way, to be honest. What I feel about leadership is it should not be directly related to age, uh, seniority, rank, uh, experience, etc. Of course, it is related, but not directly for me. For me, it is all about the ability to empower a group of people to achieve a common goal altogether with a purpose, direction, guidance. We can do it in different ways. I mean, my leadership style is in the direction of more participatory or inclusive leadership, let's say. What I mean is with that, I might guide people, I might uh, give direction, I might uh, motivate them, encourage them, but I'm also aware of my limitations, you know. And I also am aware of my vulnerability, so I seek input and support my team members, not for the decision-making process, but in every step that we face at our uh, working life. So I, what I want to achieve is to create this trusting, like this sincere environment where everyone can feel that somebody has their back at the end of the day, and we just try to achieve things all together by putting all our efforts and potential in it. The first step, I mean, I guess before leading people is to understand people better. That's also why we talked about the crisis moments, the personal development as well. And something that struck me when we first talked is that I felt like you got to master in some ways the art of observing, assessing people from your media um, experience. That's what I felt. So uh, I just wanted to ask you, again, what are you particularly sensitive to when it comes to assessing, observing other people? Thank you, uh, first of all, <laughs> if I had given you this impression, that's nice. That's part of my job as well, so uh, I'm glad. Um, what I'm particularly sensitive about, I think the first thing, we need to find ways to build trust, right? And it starts with honesty and openness and transparency. So I try to understand whether that person is honest enough. And I try to extract that element from their character, from the way they communicate uh, with me, with others, etc. That's the first. The second element is the curiosity, I think, to learn more. I don't really like the approach of like being there, done that, I know it all. 
We are all here to learn together and I want everyone to show that they are curious to learn more. I am learning every day from my colleagues and I want to do that all my life, you know, and I want to see this attitude from everyone. The other thing is related to mistakes. I mean, we are human beings. We make mistakes, all of us, no matter how experienced we are. The important thing for me is to observe whether that person admits their mistakes or failures and apologizes for that and then comes up with another solution or direction, etc. We can find a solution together, but it starts with admitting our mistakes uh, first. And it is so important uh, when it comes to um, working in a team. And I think the other thing is proactive approach, taking initiatives. As I said, I mean, leading is one thing, but as a team member, you can also take initiatives and you can also convince people to take action on certain things. I want to see this in people and I really observe whether that person is capable of taking initiatives or not. And the last thing I think the most important of all is the emotional intelligence. Actually, that kind of encompasses all these elements that I've just mentioned. I know you care a lot, especially about women's empowerment. Um, yesterday, I was reading an article from journalists saying that women have been vastly ignored in the COVID crisis. We never talk about women or almost. They are just gone. They disappeared, which is another injustice. But coming back to you, but I was thinking about that because of your, the past and your experience in the media in, um, industry, of course. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share some thoughts on the topic first and what, what advice would you give? What have you learned from your experience uh, concerning women's empowerment? That's a great topic and it's a topic on its own. <laughs> but let me tell you, I mean, first of all, I think we should all care about women's empowerment, right? What we mean with the empowerment of women, it is like giving equal opportunities and rights to women in every aspect of our lives and uh, the improvement of their social, economic, political and health status. It is essential for the achievement of sustainable development like it's full stop and it's also basic maths let's not forget i mean half of the world's population is female and yet we don't make the most of their potential so i just don't get it i don't have any personal tragic experience let's let's be honest or a story to to share but even though i come from a country whose gender equality score is very poor by the way but it is not about a single country or a region it's a global issue and we see it here at the heart of the eu in brussels as well so it is everywhere and it is a systemic issue let's let's admit that first of all i've been so fortunate to have been raised in a family of equal opportunities but when you enter real life professional life you realize how hard it takes for a woman to get where she desires to be compared to her male peers with the same experience with the same education background and everything in my professional life i've had the opportunity to work with amazing women and men who opened my mind my heart for this issue i worked in awareness projects with international organizations such as united nations with national and regional ngos etc and you know what we realized trying to achieve gender equality only by the effort of women will never be enough so we need men on board okay i mean we need men on board to help us raise awareness to show how important it is to achieve gender equality we need to teach them what is right to do which language to use you know how to break the glass ceiling 
So we really need men on board. And therefore, in 2017, even before I moved to Brussels, I was working for a client uh, whose leader was a gender equality activist, Miss Nurger. And she had this dream of setting up an NGO where we can have feminist men on board. We worked on this project and the dream came true. We founded this NGO in Turkey in 2017, uh, which is called Yanındayız in Turkish. And in, in English, it is We Are By Your Side. And we have now renowned Turkish male figures from different fields, business, arts, politics, media, and they are advocating to raise awareness on gender equality. And lastly, you mentioned this COVID-19 crisis, and I recently worked for a Turkish, another Turkish NGO uh, from here during this crisis, and they were also working on what are the challenges that women face during this crisis, and they were creating some video animations, etc. So I'm so happy to at least able to contribute to this cause, uh, small or with big support, it doesn't matter. Men and women, we all need to be on board. I like what you said also that when you are a young woman coming into the professional world, you're never really prepared to what you're going to face. Absolutely not. I'm telling you, I've had a really pleasant childhood and uh, adult like adolescent years when it comes to gender equality. I never paid attention to the differences. That's how I was raised. But when you face the real world, you see actually how things work, you know. Would you have books to recommend or books or advice, like if you were to give advice? I would recommend everyone to read biographies or autobiographies of women who had struggled tremendously in their lives, trying to change the societal norms, let's say. My number one in the list is absolutely Maya Angelou, American writer, poet and activist. Her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, is a masterpiece. I am a big fan of Susan Zontag as well, another American thinker, writer, political activist, also a filmmaker. I love her autobiography, As Consciousness is Harnessed to Flesh. Um, it's, it's just great. From Europe, Simone de Beauvoir, I guess. Um, she's, um, she's the best. A French writer, intellectual, political activist again. And her book, her masterpiece, Second Sex. And uh, there is another one, Women Who Run With The Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes. It's, it's just too good. <laughs> and more contemporary um, writer, Rebecca Solnit and her collection of essays called Men Explain Things To Me. It focuses on the silencing of women. And my last recommendation is from Turkey, actually. Duygu Asena, a Turkish uh, journalist, author, an activist for women's rights. She's not with us anymore, but her first book, The Woman Has No Name, which was sharply criticizing the oppression of women and which was published in 1980s, actually, uh, was exceptional for those times. And I think, yeah, that's it uh, for the moment. Let's come back to emotional intelligence, which also could be uh, a full topic in Absolutely. itself. Absolutely. Why is it so important to you? You know, we are like human beings. We are uh, complicated species. We're not just our brains, uh, but we are also our emotions. You know, when we look at our general intelligence, which is measured by IQ, it is our ability to process information, right? To come up with like solid and sound decisions. Whereas emotional intelligence is all about 
our ability to process emotions, but not only ours, but also ours as well, so that we can come up with a sound decisions. So when I look at our education systems all over the world, things are changing these days, but still, in general, I suppose our education systems are mostly directed towards the subjects that are more technical, more scientific. I don't think we are taught how to express our emotions, how to be kinder to each other, how to better listen to each other, how to show empathy and sympathy. This is what we're lacking in the world. And again, boom, you finish school, you're in the work life, professional life and you need to navigate through different relational you know situations and as we know like work life is the melting pot of different characters personalities skills strengths etc and we suffer right we suffer so i um, emotional intelligence eq is super important first of all to better understand ourselves our emotions and our reactions to emotions secondly to build and maintain better relationships with more empathy and sympathy with other people. And lastly, to better manage conflicts, difficult conversations. So I think overall, this is as important as IQ, maybe more than that. That's very true. We have, an epi- we have a special episode about conflict on the, on the podcast, by the way, which uh, is interested people. To any managers out there, what can be done? What can they do to help their team members better develop their emotional intelligence? What do you do, for example? I think there are three steps, just like I mentioned earlier. The first one is, yeah, self-awareness, like listening to ourselves, reflecting on our emotions. That's the first thing. Secondly, reflecting is one thing, but managing our emotions is another thing. What I mean with that, you know, we cannot control our emotions, but we can control our reactions to the emotions. So that is the second element we need to pay attention. I'll come to some practical suggestions, but we need to think about the aspects of emotional intelligence. The last part is recognizing and respecting the emotions of others. So all of us, I think, have a tendency of like, we make mistakes, right? When we make mistakes, okay, we lash out, we scream, we sulk from time to time, and we tend to find excuses. Like, I was too tired, I had this and that, it triggered me, I got so stressed out. So when we have our troubles, when we make mistakes, we associate it to the certain occasion, the certain situation. But when we see other people making mistakes, we tend to kind of label them as if they are part of their character. So there is a bit of discrepancy when it comes to the way we uh, approach other people's emotions. So that's why it is so, so important to develop emotional intelligence in a way that you also recognize different patterns of other people's behaviors. You also identify what they might be feeling in that certain occasion, situation, and you also tend to learn how to respect to their emotions in this certain, like let's say, given situation. What worked for me, if you ask, I keep journals. I'm a big fan of like keeping diaries. Since the moment I learned how to write, I think I'm keeping diaries. Of course, I was not doing it like purposefully, let's say, as I do right now. I would write like, dear diary, I woke up at seven. I saw this uh, girl at school. She did this to me, blah, blah, blah. 
But now I'm more in the journaling of like uh, reflecting on the things that make me feel grateful, the troubles that I face, etc. So journaling really allows you to look at yourself from a a different perspective. You put yourself as an object rather than the subject of the thing. So it gives you a better understanding of your feelings, your emotions, etc. It literally tells you your life, right? Writing the things down. So it helped me a lot. The second thing uh, that I've been doing these days is meditation. I was super skeptical about it, but now I see that how transformative it is to focus on your breath, focus on the moment. And it is not, you know, I used to think that meditation was all about just putting your thoughts aside. You just need to, you know, not think. That's not true. Meditation is about being in the moment, recognizing that there are thoughts in your mind, and telling them to stay aside a bit, I'll come to you, just give me a moment, let me be in the present moment, and then I will fix things later. So that also has a very transformative effect in our lives to understand, I mean, what we feel, what we think, and believe me, all these creative ideas that I have usually come from my sessions of meditations every morning. And the last thing is reading, listening. I mean, I'm reading so many books about emotional intelligence. I can recommend School of Life to everyone. This is a global organization dedicated to developing emotional intelligence. And they have training, they have books, they have games for teams. It is amazing. So I would definitely recommend that. And I listen to podcasts. Um, The ones that I love the most are Mark Manson. Uh, Simon Sinek, definitely. Tim Ferriss, these are the guys that I love following and reading and listening to all the time. That really helps a lot. So we talked about developing people, we talked about leading people, and I know you care a lot about building and maintaining good teams and good team dynamics. So what would be, apart from what you just said, uh, what would be key foundations for you in developing and maintaining better teams? And how do you develop personally, these foundations? I think it starts with purpose for for everyone. You need to give people the big picture, what their daily task is contributing to. That's the first thing, I think. Secondly, of course, like clear allocation of tasks and roles and training people, giving the infrastructure to, you know, do their job properly. That's the second thing. Building trust, we talked about trust, the honesty, openness. We need to give or create the environment that people feel comfortable to share their views, ideas, suggestions, their vulnerabilities as well. I think this is one of the most important things too. I mean, we didn't touch upon that much, but we mentioned that mistakes are okay, but vulnerabilities are also okay. Be it for a leader or a team member, we are sometimes weak and it is okay. So let's find the solution for that what we can do for each other. And uh, recognizing the work is another thing. I mean, people can do their things, but if you don't recognize, if you don't reward from time to time what they achieve, then it might be a bit disappointing. So if you want to maintain a team as they are and make them function fully with their full potential, you need to really pay attention to recognizing the efforts. And uh, regular feedback is also part of that. And I think uh, lastly, it is important to give challenges to team members. 
Because if we do all the time the same things, it might get super boring. So it is important for them to find ways to learn more, to face new challenges, to take up on new roles, new tasks, etc. From time to time, it is always uh, helpful and it keeps people more dynamic, let's say, in the team. We're coming to the last question. My last question is always the same to guests. Who would you like to send a message to and what would be that message? If I need to pick one message, I think it is to, I mean, to us all, but particularly to parents and teachers, I think. When raising kids, let's prepare them for painful experiences as well in life, rather than just trying to prevent them, you know. That's how we can build more resilient societies. That's how we can build more emotionally intelligent societies. I think overall what we discussed so far, we touched upon so many things, but I think the main common denominator, I think, was emotional intelligence. So let's start changing the way we raise kids and let's start changing our education systems. I don't know how we can do that, but I think it starts from very early ages. So that's my message, I think. All right. Thank you, Gukhan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, for me too. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, consider giving it five stars on Apple Podcast and a good review. It helps us a lot. Before you leave, I have one question for you. Who should be our next guest? Manager, HR professional, sport coach, CEO, managing director. Who inspires you as a team leader? Get in touch and let us know. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.